coming to you from a cozy little condo high atop old Fort Ward, Atlanta. Welcome, Welcome to The Ron Show on America One Radio. Here's your host, Ron Roberts. And a happy weekend to you. A hot as hell one here in and around Metro Atlanta. Uh, approaching 100 today, tomorrow, Sunday, next week looks glorious. Highs in the mid to low 80s. Lows approaching the upper 60s, maybe as high as 70. For, uh, it's just uh, chef's kiss. But we got to get through this weekend. Whew, hydrate. Lots of water. Carry your sunscreen with you. Don't overindulge and imbibe on the brewskis or the cocktails while out by the pool, the lake, or whatever you're going to be doing this weekend without at least, I call it picket fencing, some bottles of water in between. When I'm, What I mean by picket fencing is like every other drink should be straight up water. It's not what you tuned in for, but I appreciate you doing so nonetheless. This is The Ron Show. My name is Ron, your host on the America One Radio app, americaoneradio.com, weekdays 5 to 6 p.m., or if you're listening to The Ron Show wherever you podcast, I appreciate that as well. So this has been a really heady week. We've had a lot of stuff to cover between the cop city referendum and the city trying to tap dance around how they're going to signature match, but make no mistake, they are signature matching. There's been that to deal with. Oh, and a, a little thing called Trump coming to Atlanta, swooping. I mean, he was here like maybe two hours tops, right? Swooping in to get booked and I assume he got fingerprinted. Uh, in fact, I've seen some of the memes of the tiny little fingerprints. Um, and then got his mugshot. Mugshot was released and then got back on uh, Trump Force One or whatever you want to call it now and uh, took off. I mean, all within a matter of just a couple of hours. Now, he did speak to the media after he got back to Atlanta Hartsfield uh, Internet, Atlanta Hartsfield Jackson International <laughs> Airport. Uh, and not many of, I don't think CNN, I know MSN didn't cover his, uh, his words. Fox News, however, right there to take care of the boy. So uh, let's listen to the fella. Very sad day for America. This should never happen. If you challenge an election, you should be able to challenge an election. I thought the election was a rigged election, a stolen election. And I should have every right to do that. As you know, you have many people that you've been watching over the years do the same thing, whether it's Hillary Clinton or Stacey Abrams or many others. No. When you uh, have that great freedom to challenge, you have to be able to, otherwise you can have very dishonest elections. What has taken place here is a travesty of justice. We did nothing wrong. I did nothing wrong. Mm. And everybody knows it. I've never had such support. And that goes with the other ones, too. What they're doing is election interference. They're trying to interfere with an election. There's never been anything like it in our country Uh before. This is their way of campaigning. And this is one instance, but you have three other instances. It's election interference. So I want to thank you for being here. We did nothing wrong at all. And we have every right, every single right, to challenge an election that we think is dishonest, that we think it's very dishonest. So thank you all very much, and I'll see you uh, very soon. Thank you very much. So, so, so many falsities there. Uh, let's see. He, he, he lost more than five dozen lawsuits challenging election results. In the court of law, not the deep state, but in within the judicial system that he presided over for four years, many Trump-appointed judges slapping down these lawsuits. He also got several recounts. He got more than one. He got more than two. I believe he got at least three recounts just here in Georgia before the 
Perfect call. The beautiful call to Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger. I did nothing wrong. Before that call, there were multiple recounts done, audits done, and he still lost. It's definitely one thing to challenge the results as they come in, to question them, to wonder if there are some inaccuracies or some illegalities or some curiosities that need to be addressed. It's it's completely plausible, and you have that First Amendment right to do that, as Stacey Abrams did after the 2018 election. She did not, however, well, she didn't have the authority to, or wasn't in a position of authority to, call Brad Raffensperger. Well, actually, he wasn't in the Secretary of State's office at the time. It would have been, oh, Brian Kemp. Yeah, she was not in a position of authority to lean on anyone to kind of use that authority to insist that somebody find the thousands of votes that she was missing that would have made her the victor. She can say that the system is rigged. She's not wrong to say that the system is rigged. She can call into question a sitting Secretary of State overseeing his own gubernatorial election campaign. That is curious, right? Could you imagine if Donald Trump had run against Barack Obama, say in 2012, and Barack in the position as president could have wielded some authority or was the principal person overseeing federal elections, Donald would have screamed bloody murder about that. Stacey Abrams was right to call that into question. And many times, Brian Kemp was pressured to maybe step aside, sit this one out. This is your election. You shouldn't be the one. But he never did. Kind of curious. After, of course, removing hundreds of thousands from the voter rolls. But getting back to Donald Trump's gripe, he lost in states that the GOP controlled. Georgia, Arizona are two that come to mind. Ah, You know what? I'm not here to litigate his case all over again. Again, he had more than five dozen lawsuits thrown out on their base. Just thrown out. And a lot of those Trump-appointed judges were the ones tossing those suits. The Supreme Court. The Supreme Court that he stacked. The Supreme Court that he got to stack in such a wide 6-3 totally not in line with the mindset of the nation. Conservative court. They didn't want to hear it. Next. Moving on. It's, it's, it's like they didn't want to look at the guy who helped them get into the club, who got bounced from the club for acting a fool. He's all standing at the, at the door looking through the window. Hey, hey, hey guys, come in. And they're all, don't look at him. Don't make eye contact. Just keep going. I uh, have lunch with a group of friends uh, every Friday at Wolf's, a local sports bar here in Atlanta. And we were all, of course, at some point in time, going to get around to this conversation. And we did. We don't normally talk current events all the time. We're just, you know, a bunch of gay guys. We have to talk about guys <laughs> and each other and their other guys. Anyway, um, but we got to talking about this because everybody's just kind of chortling about the mugshot and the memes about the mugshot and the, the troll doll mugshot, et cetera. So it sort of devolved into this conversation. I'd say devolved into a conversation about politics. That's where we are as a country. When a conversation amongst a bunch of gay guys who would normally be talking about cute dudes devolves into politics. So we were talking about the entire situation and it got to a point where uh, we we were 
opining about, oh, the Republicans could splinter, blah, blah. Good. Let them. They should. In fact, the country would have been a lot better off if enough Republicans had grown some spines or pear, you know what's, during his presidency. I get it. They were caught off guard in 2016. They were totally caught off guard. Like now, they had too many people running against him, and he was the outlier. The populist talks like the base that they have long taken advantage of was the outlier. So the egos then couldn't get out of the way to coalesce behind one person to take him out. They obviously didn't think he was going to be enough of a threat, not just to their party, but to the nation to coalesce behind somebody to topple him. He never was getting 50% plus in any of the states until he it was just him and uh, the fellow from Ohio, the governor who alludes me, that memorable of a candidate. Um, that's the thing we have to remember. He never had 50% plus of the GOP mandate. He never did. But he got the presidency out of it. <laughs> because again, 50% in this country doesn't mean you win the presidency. You have to do it that way as a Democratic candidate, but you don't have to do it that way as a Republican candidate. The way the Electoral College is currently maligned by a suppressed number in the House of Representatives. And we've talked a little bit about how we fix that. You're not going to get a constitutional amendment passed anymore, I don't think, in this nation's existence. At least not as hyper-partisan as we are. We're going to have to get past this this, this, this fever of hyper-partisanship. And I, I just don't, how does that happen? I don't, I don't know. I don't have the answers to that. But you can uncap the House. The House should be uncapped. Population has nearly tripled since it was last raised to 435. So why are we stuck at 435? That is a, a diluting of our voice. The House of Representatives is the people's house. That's our house. And yet we have about one-third of the voting power of that chamber than we had in the 1930s. It's been 100 years nearly. That's how you fix the Electoral College. The Electoral College tied to the number of House members, the number of senators. That's, that's how each state gets its number of allotted electoral votes. You can't fix the Senate because the Senate is based on arbitrary lines that make not a hill of beans sense when it comes to culture or equality of numbers or any of that business. It's, it is what it is. Wyoming has about as many people... Uh, in fact, fewer than Fulton County, and yet Wyoming gets two senators uh, and, and a congressional uh, seat, so they get three electoral votes. Fulton County's got to share its two senators with the rest of the state of Georgia and uh, gets its diluted power through that uh, congressional representation as well. So the devolution of where we are as a country from a political standpoint, seeing a man baby a petty, bratty child brat in the body of a man in his late 70s is because the Republican Party itself didn't stand up to a man that never had 50% plus of its party's support. Largely because they feared that the, I don't know, 40, 38, 35% in the GOP that was fervently about this guy were just going to take their ball and go home. You can just hear Mitch McConnell now. Well, we, we can't. We can't just ignore that. We 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 have to win Senate seats. We, we have to be able to continue to filibuster. Otherwise, you know, and gerrymander and all the other little ways that they're able to rig the system in their favor. But while President 
the man ran through cabinet positions. <laughs> he would tout how great his hires were going to be and then would trash them when they would leave them, uh, leave him. Nobody stood up to him. And when they did and he wouldn't hear them out, he'd fire them or make them retire or resign. And then he'd speak crap about them on cable news. But it's because the Mitch McConnells and the Kevin McCarthys and even the Liz Cheney's right up until the very end anyway, never stood up to him, never said, this guy's out of control. Never had, they had two impeachment opportunities to shed themselves of this orange stain. And they whiffed because partisanship. To hell with what's best for the country. It was what was best for the party. All right, I got to play some audio from Laura Ingraham last night that just had me cackling. We'll get to that. Uh, and Susan Greenhall from Free Speech for People is on to help us understand the Coffee County case and why there isn't a state, let alone federal, investigation into that going on. All that and more on The Ron Show here on the America One Radio app, AmericaOneRadio.com, or wherever you podcast. Welcome back to the weekend edition of The Ron Show on the America One Radio app, AmericaOneRadio.com, or wherever you podcast. Thank you for listening. We appreciate that. Oh, I forgot to tease this. Oliver Anthony, the Richmond, North of Richmond guy that conservatives have been loving on for weeks now. He's rebuffed them. He's like, ugh, y'all are disgusting. Like, literally, he just was like, ugh. Uh, he went to YouTube. I'm going to play the audio of that. That'll be the last segment because it's just so delicious. I want you to wait for that. Here's what else I have to play for you. I have to play for you some audio. I, I do this. And maybe it's just me kind of taking my cues from our friends at Media Matters for America. They watch Fox News and OANN and Newsmax. And what is it, the Right Side Broadcasting Network? I, who I don't even know where you get that. That's not on any cable provider I know of. Anyway, he, they watch all that stuff. We had Andrew Lawrence on yesterday to talk about Fox handling the uh, debate. So I kind of decided I want to see how Fox is covering Trump's plane landing and the caravan of squad cars and uh, APD bikes. And oh man, it was just so much, right? Oh, oh. This is one of these moments where we're going to remember where we were when like the Challenger exploded in 84. I remember for some reason, was it 86? 86. I, for some reason, we were out of school that day. I don't know why. Uh, maybe there was like a, a an ice storm or something. I don't, we were out of school for whatever reason. Um, I remember where I was. No, I don't remember where I was when Reagan got shot, but I remember seeing it on the news. I remember, wow, that's kind of crazy. I was six. Uh, I remember where I was when the Braves won the World Series in 2021. Things like that. You, you know, I will remember watching a former president under arrest heading into the city that I lived in to get fingerprinted in mugshots. I'll always remember that. So I'm watching this and I decided I want to see how Fox News is covering this because I'm curious to see how they cover something that is just so obviously bleak and dour and serious. And I, listen, I don't know if it's an act or not. I don't really think Rachel Maddow is a good actress. And I know she is left of center. There's no question about it. But they call on her on election nights, primary election results. They call on her on important matters. She is semi-retired. She works one show a week now. Good for her. But they bring her in for important stuff. And I think she conveyed the seriousness of the moment as it was happening live. Now, later on, they got the joke a little bit about uh, his, his, his statistics. 6'3", 215, sir. Oh, please. 
NFL quarterback, Baltimore Raven quarterback, Lamar Jackson is 6'3", 215. Sir, you are no 6'3", 215. Anyway, I, I, I think Rachel sort of conveyed the seriousness of the moment in the moment. <laughs> Laura Ingraham, on the other hand, oh, bless her heart. Listen to this. Uh, here's clip one. That Anyone who has the views that he has on putting China back on its heels, we're, we're talking trillions of dollars is on the line. That's mm-hmm. a lot of money. And you don't think China's happy tonight to see this? They're very happy. Ch- China is happy to see that Donald Trump has again been indicted and is being arrested, fingerprinted in mug shots. Why? Why is China happy? Yeah, I hate to break it to Laura Ingraham, but I, like, I literally got this email uh, this morning from the New York Times. China's economic problems can seem sudden and surprising. Just a few years ago, its economy inspired worldwide envy. A few years ago, Donald Trump was president. Today, signs of trouble appear to be everywhere. By the way, I'm the one that brought in the, the Trump. That's not them writing that. That's me. Uh, their email continued, the real estate market is in a serious slump. Consumer spending is weak. Unemployment among young adults has surged above 20%, and the government has responded by suspending the release of that statistic. The most terrifying thing is that everyone around me is at a loss of what to do next. Richard Lee, L-I, the owner of an auto parts business who has closed two of his four stores. That's what he told New York Times uh, writer Lee Yuan. I used to believe that our country could become better and better. Today's New York Times newsletter is intended to help you make sense of the turnabout. Uh, The main argument that China's problems are not, in fact, new. They have been building for years, and Chinese leaders have long vowed to address them. So far, though, they have mostly failed to do so. That failure is catching up to them. I guess my point is, I think I'm having a hard time thinking that China gives a rat's ass about Donald Trump's legal woes. Do they... Concern themselves with the United States? Oh, obviously. No, of course. And I'm sure they would love to see us continue throwing billions at the Ukraine war while they continue to aid Russia with their money and or resources to keep that war going on in sort of a proxy battle of sorts. But as we know, Ukraine's kind of holding their own and, and, and more so against the Russians. Putin's got his own problems, as we found out this week. He had to resort to snuffing out an insurgent, allegedly. Come on. If anything, I think China's got to be saddened that, oh my gosh, the legal system is working against a wealthy, well-heeled, well-connected person in the United States because that wealthy, well-heeled, well-connected person was an awful president in the midst of an era where they themselves have an awful president. Yeah, they want to lower the playing field so that if anything, literally, I think I think a Donald Trump would 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 be like a chef's kiss to them back in the White House. So no, Laura, I don't th- I don't think you're right there. I mean, China's kind of not doing so good while Joe Biden is president. Oh, okay. Now listen, listen to the, here was the next clip. Clip two, uh, and he'll take this short drive to the Fulton County Courthouse. I should say, Charlie, the left is ramping up their fear mongering uh, as as. This is all going on because what? they're again. This is their moment of great celebration. They claim to to think that this is this is a serious moment for democracy. <laughs> but but you see it around the edges. They are gleeful that this man is going to get his mugshot taken tonight, fingerprinted like you know like he summoned Jack and Cars in San Francisco. Those people actually go free. So they're completely bankrupt of ideas on the left. They have nothing left. And so their only option now is to do this. 
The clown chiming in with Laura Ingraham commiserating would have been one Charles Hurt with the Washington Times, by the way. Really devoid of ideas? Are you kidding me? The left isn't the side of the aisle that's running on tax cuts for the wealthy and big business again, and culture war stuff. That's what's devoid of ideas. Come on, y'all. Come up with a new playbook. You're losing the American populace. You're losing the youth. We talked about this the other day. Brian Kemp went to Milwaukee to sit with the GOP confab and talk about how they went over the youth vote. Well, you're not going to do it by having Vivek say, uh, maybe folks under 25 shouldn't vote. That's not how you win the youth vote. That's how you just alienate them all together. You're not dealing with uh, gun violence. You're not dealing with climate change. But let's give Laura some credit because she's kind of right. We actually kind of, well, uh, listen, again, Rachel was handling the moment, I think, very seriously on MSNBC last night. The rest of us, however, oh my God, the memes, the, the mugshot shares and the sheer, del- oh, absolutely. Because the leader of the law and order party broke laws and some order is being restored. Back after this on the America One Radio app, AmericaOneRadio.com, or wherever you podcast. This is The Ron Show. Broadcasting five days a week to make common sense common again. This is The Ron Show on America One Radio. All right, so as I mentioned yesterday, Slate Piece dropped and Ben Clements and friend of the show, Susan Greenhall, collaborated on this. The headline, One Trump Georgia Scheme Goes Much Deeper. Where are the feds? And this goes to the heart of the Coffee County voter data breach. Susan joins us from freespeechforpeople.org. Susan, how have you been? I'm good. Hi, Ron. Thanks for having me. Uh, thank you for coming, and uh, thanks for uh, putting this back uh, on folks' radars. And, and I know with, with Trump coming in and getting his mugshot and uh, arraignment and bond set and all that stuff, that this sort of ties in. And I, I guess we should credit Fonnie Willis for finding a way to sort of bring this into her charges. But it's a, it's a valid question. Where's the state investigation? Where's the federal investigation? And that's kind of what your story uh, goes into with Ben, correct? Yeah, that's right. And I think, um, I think it's even more than she sort of fitted in. I, I think it does provide a very, um, like foundational, uh, a set of, of facts and potential crimes that, um, help um, uh, underpin the, this overall conspiracy that's outlined in her racketeering indictment. Um, but what's important that we raise in it is that um, the information that uncovered this this potential crime in Coffee County of taking voting system software improperly, not, not just data, we're not talking about data, we're talking about the actual software that runs the voting machines, mm-hmm. that that was uncovered by the Coalition for Good Governance in the course of a long-going uh, litigation that they have in Georgia that started in 2017, not through the county uncovering it, not through the Georgia Secretary of State's office uncovering it, not through the Georgia Bureau of Investigation uncovering it. Um, and it gets even worse in that we know that there were several significant incidents which should have triggered um, by any reasonable estimation an investigation from the Secretary of State's office at the least. And they did not. And that's what we write about in this article. And we give a lot of details in the documentation about that. We talked, uh, believe back in June, about the debate over whether to stick with Dominion voting and the the the, the, the tablet ballots, the, 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 the screens and all that stuff versus going with hand counting or paper ballots. 
And this kind of goes to the heart of that, too, this this dissonance within the Secretary of State's office. They think everything's fine. They've got this all under control. And yet they're not investigating what appears to have been a major breach of security for, as you mentioned, not just the data, but the actual software that they are relying on giving us accurate results. Yeah, that's right. And I just want to be um, clear that the in the Coalition for Good Governance lawsuit, for which I am a consulting expert, um, they are seeking to get rid of the touchscreens that record votes on a piece of paper. They're not seeking to have votes hand counted. Um, the the logic there is that um, to have an accurate count, you need a reliable record of voter intent that each voter records mm-hmm. and that that should be recorded on paper. And the best way to do that, the most secure way to do that, the most reliable way to do that is for the voter to mark that piece of paper with a pen um, themselves. But that um, what we've seen in uh, in Georgia is one of the few states where people mark their ballots um, using an electronic machine mm-hmm. and a touchscreen. And what the the curling suit is seeking to do is to just um, get rid of the touchscreens and allow the ballots to be counted by tabulators, but then also to require that they be very robustly audited so that you know that the tabulators are counting correctly. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, um, yes, um, this, this does raise a question as to why the Secretary of State didn't investigate when all these red flags came up that we mm-hmm. write about. But it's even worse um, because we've seen that the Secretary of State's office very um, sort of glibly dismissed this. And when he was asked point blank about when he started an investigation by a local reporter in Atlanta, mm-hmm. he wasn't able to give a straight answer. He changed his, his answer a couple of times. So that doesn't look fantastic for him. But to go beyond Brad Raffensperger, the Secretary of State of Georgia, this is also raising questions at the Department of, or should be raising questions at the Department of Justice, because this isn't just a Georgia issue, as you point out in your piece. Yeah, absolutely, 100%. And we've been, um, at Free Speech for People, we've been making that point um, since last December when we first wrote to the Department of Justice that this... um, uh, this conspiracy, as um, D.A. Willis shows in her indictment, um, spans outside of Georgia. It includes people in Michigan and in um, other states and, and people in D.C. And this and, and a conspiracy to get voting system software from Michigan that was all part of the same contract for the people that came in and did it in Georgia. Um, and that that really um, necessitates a federal investigation. And while D.A. Willis has done a, such an Im- impressive job putting together all of this information, she is a county district attorney. It is not her responsibility. Yeah. We can't expect her to have the resources to be conducting that type of sprawling multi-state investigation. That is the responsibility of the Department of Justice and the special counsel. And we still have no indication at all that they are investigating. And there's all sorts of questions about what sort of collaboration is going on between Fonnie Willis and Jack Smith. And and, and that raises that question. Is there maybe some sort of, hey, listen, if, if you'll bring that up, if it's like, you know, the volleyball match, you, you make the volley and I'll slam it over the net. Is there any sort of thought that that might be why this is working out the way it did? I don't think so, because from what we've seen so far, um, that what 
um, DA Willis has presented seems to rely on the evidence that has come from the curling case. Mm -hmm. And while we know that she took um, a lot of testimony in the grand jury, it doesn't look like it went like the evidence gathering went beyond what had already come out from curling as far as we can tell. So it's really not, so it wouldn't be, wouldn't make sense for the the federal government to say, well, we're going to rely mm-hmm. on your investigative gathering when we didn't really see so much of that happening in this case. And unfortunately, as I, I think I mentioned this last time, we've put in public records requests over and over and over again, periodically to Coffee County for any communication that they may have received from the feds, from mm. the DOJ mm. or FBI our special counsel, and there's no um, communication coming into the county from the feds asking for interviews, asking for them to preserve documents, potentially subpoenaing any information, nothing like that, We're which with, is why we feel confident they're not investigating. We're with Susan Greenhall from freespeechforpeople.org. She and Ben Clement writes from uh, Slate yesterday, one Trump Georgia scheme goes much deeper. Where are the feds talking uh, at great length about the Coffee County voter data and software breach? Is there any thought that you know somewhere out there in the netherworlds that, that maybe the the federal government's just holding back because they're they're kind of tired of hearing the cries of hyperpartisanship and witch hunt and politically motivated yada yada yada? I, I guess that's possible. I would I I'll tell you my best estimate as to why we haven't seen an investigation yet, right. and it's it's just sort of circumstances because the this Coffee County breach was uncovered. Um, by the plaintiffs, as, as we mentioned, curling, not by the state investigation. Um, and it took them a really long time to get an, to get anyone to listen to them, to get the court to grant discovery. Once they got discovery, it was less than two months before they had all the um, documents which showed that this went all the way up to Sydney Powell. And that happened in the um, late summer of last year. Mm. And what we saw in the January 6th committee is that they, a lot of the key people who would have been read into the scheme were deposed for the January 6th committee in spring and even early spring of 2022. So before any of this came out. So understandably, no one from the January 6th committee asked these key players about the breach in Coffee County because why would they? They didn't know it had happened yet. Mm-hmm. And when the um, the information really was fully developed, it was in late September of 2022 when a lot of con- most everything everyone in Congress was gone campaigning, and the January 6th committee was wrapping up because they knew they only had a couple months before um, the they were going to pr- produce their report, mm-hmm. and they lost the House. So it didn't it didn't make it into the January 6th committee report. Mm. Um, I don't blame the committee for that or they're very, you know, they're crack investigators. I think it's a matter of timing that sometimes, you know, everything in in, in life can be timing sometimes. Mm -hmm. And if Jack Smith is looking at that report to guide his investigation, he's going to overlook the Coffee County breach because it's not in there and not for any nefarious reasons. That's one possible reason. There could be others. I kind of feel like that's, that's what I lean on is the most likely. And I, I love how you include the anecdote in your piece, uh, which, by the way, we're sharing in today's show notes at ronshowetl.com, how this breach was discovered. It was it was not discovered because anybody was looking for it. It was something completely different. And they were like, wait, 
what what is happening there? They were looking for something else completely in video, uh, uh, as you guys pointed out. And <laughs> I just find that funny. Can you want to you want to share the, the the anecdote real quick? Um. Well, uh, what you know, what mi- mi- Misty, was- Misty Hampton was you know looking. It was like patting patting her hours or something like that, and. And lo and behold, but, they- the, they, but the problem was they didn't actually find it from that. That's what what is so disturbing about it and makes raises so many questions about why this breach had to be uncovered by current by the curling litigant, mm. because Misty Hampton s- supposedly was fired for for falsifying her timesheets. Misty right. Hampton is the election supervisor in Coffee County that permitted um, all of these unauthorized people, including Doug Logan from the Cyber Ninjas, to come in and mess around with the voting machines unfettered. And when so the, the county said they were going to fire her. We wonder if they had suspicions that this had gone on and they, that's why they were forcing her her resignation. Mm. That that could be a possibility. But to, to they said they're going to do it because she's falsifying her timesheets. They went through the surveillance video footage to know when she came and when she left, because mm-hmm. maybe someday she said, I came in at eight. She really came in at 11. Right. And when they did that, they failed to notice the fact that and all of these people were coming and going in the uh, election office improperly. And that I find like a huge red flag. Why did they not notice this back in um, February of 2021, Mm. shortly after the breach occurred? Why did they not seem to think there was anything amiss? And it wasn't until um, the summer of 2022 that the curling litigants um, found the documentation. And then it was actually the county refused to hand over the video for a long time, claiming that they didn't have it. And the curling litigants continue to to fight and fight and fight for it. And they got it in September of 2022. And that's when we see, you know, the whole show happening. Mm, it's like the Nixon takes, except they didn't erase the key parts. <laughs> yeah. Fascinating stuff. All right. Yeah. Well, again, great work again. You and Ben Clemens working on the article. We've got that in today's show notes at ronshowatl.com. And I, I love how you stay on this story because it, there's been so much that happens. It's it's easy for it to fall by the wayside or not be on everybody's radar, but it's still an important story with, with voter integrity, voter security, and, and not just that, but like the American people wanting to believe the results of elections aren't being tampered with. And as we get into the 23rd century and artificial intelligence, we, we need to be able to trust voting. That is the center of uh, our governance, our democracy, uh, you know, the sustainability of our republic. And this is an important story, and I'm glad you guys are staying on it. Thank you so much. We, we're going to stay on it. Thank you very much. Susan Greenhall with freespeechforpeople.org. Thanks for coming on The Ron Show. Thank you. Okay, first, it was Jason Aldean and try that in a small town. And then the Montgomery Riverboat thing happened, and so much, not so much wind behind the sail of the small town song when it comes to conservative ideology. And then Oliver Anthony's Rich Men North of Richmond came out, and suddenly they have their new folk-singing country poster child. Only Oliver Anthony doesn't want to be conservative ideologies, folk country musician poster child. Uh-huh. Earlier today, he went to YouTube to basically give them the stiff arm. The, the old Heisman. Huh? Nope. You're not, you're not, I'm not part of you. You're not part of me. Sorry, we're not going there. We'll have that audio in minutes. 
can't wait for you to hear this. This is a great way to start the weekend, right? So we'll get to that. Oliver Anthony's rebuking of the GOP grasping onto his song. Ugh. The Ron Show returns in minutes on the America One Radio app, AmericaOneRadio.com, or wherever you podcast. Welcome back to The Ron Show. Final segment for the week. And I get to start my weekend. As a local realtor, that means I get to really work. <laughs> so I thought we'd end on a ah, delicious note. And I say delicious because I love it when someone who just doesn't deserve another person's affection finds out that they indeed don't get the other person's affection. You know, like when you have that, I don't know, someone in your circle who's kind of toxic and he lands a really super hot girlfriend or boyfriend or she lands a super hot and you're all, man, they don't deserve that. Like when Bama fans win yet another national title. Although that hasn't happened in a while, has it? Mm. Or when the Yankees win another World Series. Oh, wait, that hasn't happened in a while either. Or when the New England page. Oh, that hasn't happened in a few years either. See, their fan bases, they, my point is they don't deserve yet another because they're kind of toxic. Philadelphia fans, when they win anything. Ugh. So over the last few weeks, the GOP has been parading about their adoration for Oliver Anthony and his song, Rich Men North of Richmond. The one with the lyrics, I've been selling my soul, working all day, overtime hours for bullshit pay, so I can sit out here and waste my life away, drag back home and drown my troubles away. It's a damn shame what the world's gotten to for people like me and people like you. Wish I could just wake up and it not be true, but it is, oh it is. Living in the new world with an old soul, these rich men north of Richmond, Lord knows they all just want to have total control, want to know what you think, want to know what you do, and they don't think you know, but I know that you do, because your dollar ain't shit, and it's taxed to no end because of rich men north of Richmond. Lyrics go on, I wish politicians would look out for miners, coal miners, and not just minors, as in Epstein Island, on an island somewhere. Lord, we got folks on the street, ain't got nothing to eat, in the obese milk and welfare. Well, God, if you're five foot three and you're 300 pounds, taxes ought not to pay for your bags of fudge rounds. Young men are putting themselves six feet in the ground because all this damn country does is keep on kicking them down. Yeah, that's the, that's the song that the conservatives have grappled onto. Oliver Anthony, for his part, has all along said that he is not a political person. He's not right wing. He's not left wing. He's somewhere in the middle, he said. Never mind, though, that the right just took the meaning of his lyrics, and even those of us on the left to some extent, to mean that he is a diehard white Appalachian conservative. And even I would initially, when the song came out, would caution us on the left against ignoring this plight because some of what he's talking about, while it may come from a position of misinformation or lack of information, he's on to something here. There is a pall of misery over the working class in this country. And I have said, since this song has hit the spotlight, that it would be foolhardy for those on the left to ignore it, like we kind of did in 2016. Oh, the economy is so much better now. Obama did a great job, and Hillary's going to carry that torch. And the American people were like, I mean, it's, it's better than 2007, but... Come on, it's it was a slow recovery. It was a very, and, you know, a lot of that sabotage on the right, blah, blah, blah. Nonetheless, it would be foolish for the left to run between now and 2024's election cycle on this notion that things are great. Hey, things are better. 
Things are better than they could have been, but they're not great for everyone. It's so easy to get sucked into that beltway mentality where you and your household income is a quarter million dollars or more and think that, well, you know, we can write out $4 a gallon in gasoline and 8% higher groceries and the common family can't. So again, I caution the left against ignoring the plight that an Oliver Anthony puts into song. The right doesn't want to address any of these issues, but they want to talk about how, uh, obviously, this man is bogged down, beaten down because he worked so hard for crap pay. Meanwhile, the minimum wage is still what it was when we said it in 2009, and the GOP has not wanted to touch that, right? Mm. They don't want to deal with collective bargaining, none of the things that would uh, you know, empower the working class to make more. They don't want to talk about that. They want to harp on the, the fact that Oliver wants to talk about folks on welfare who are eating fudge rounds. And there's a discussion to be had about food deserts and this, that, and the other. Nonetheless, Oliver Anthony basically doesn't want his song to be co-opted by modern conservatism or the GOP. He said as much when he took to YouTube to do another little introductory video to meet some of his new fans. The one thing that has bothered me is seeing people wrap politics up into this. Like, it's aggravating seeing people on conservative news try to identify with me like I'm one of them. Mm. It's aggravating seeing certain musicians and politicians act like we're buddies and and act like we're fighting the same struggle here, like that we're trying to present the same message. Reach. I've had a lot of people reach out to me, and I've tried to be polite to everybody, and um, I've talked to hundreds of people the last two weeks. But it seems like certain people want to just ride the attention of this song to maybe make them their own selves relevant and that's aggravating as hell the other thing that i find aggravating is you know like it was funny seeing my song in the presidential debate <laughs> right because it's like i wrote that song about those people bingo you know? so for them to have to sit there and listen to that uh that cracks me up <laughs> uh but it was funny kind of seeing the response to it like that song has nothing to do with joe biden you know it's a lot bigger than Joe Biden. That song is written about the people on the on that stage, and a lot more too. Not just them, but but definitely them. It's cool seeing some of my other music come out because people are, I guess, starting to appreciate and understand what it is I'm really trying to say. It's hard to get a message out about about your political ideology or your belief about the world in three minutes and some change. But I hate, I do hate to see that song being weaponized. Like I see, I see the right trying to characterize me as one of their own. And I see the left trying to um, trying to discredit me, I guess in retaliation. Uh, that shit's gotta stop. If you watch the response videos on YouTube to the song, it's not conservative people responding to the song. It's not even necessarily Americans responding to the song. I don't know that I've seen anything get such positive response from such a diverse group of people. And, I think that terrifies the people that I sing about in that song. Political establishment, exactly. And they've done everything they can the last two weeks to make me look like a fool, to spin my words, mm -hmm. to try to stick me in a political bucket. Yep. And they can keep trying, <laughs> but I'm just going to keep on writing. And I've got a lot of words to put down on paper, and I've got, I've got a lot of songs to put to chords. And um, I don't know what my music career is going to look like. I don't know how many shows I'm going to do and how many tours I'm going to put on, but I am going to stay true to my word. I'm I'm going to write I'm going to write, produce 
and distribute authentic music that represents people and not politics. Good for him. It needed to be said and it needs to be heard from the right and the left. That's it for The Ron Show. Have yourself a great weekend back here Monday, 5 to 6 p.m. on the America One Radio app, americaoneradio.com, or wherever you podcast. Get more at ronshowatl.com.